It's good to have y'all back to work. It's a long vacation. <laughs> you don't think they liked it? They didn't like the vacation? All right. Fair enough. No more vacations for you. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Glad you're here today again. Um, looking forward to, to this. Um, as I do every year, but Easter is a special one. I was telling my, my, my coach friends, and I don't see any of them here at church today, but uh, the guys I coach with, and I said, this is our Super Bowl. You know, this is, this is it. This is where it all comes down. Uh, so you can't get excited about Easter Sunday if you're a pastor. You've got, you got issues. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I am excited. Uh, yeah, so invite you if you would to pray with me. God, we thank you. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for who you are, that you are our God so that we don't have to be. That we can, that we can live our lives for you and in that we find meaning and significance. All the things that we search for. We praise you, God. We love you. Amen. Amen. Just a normal Saturday morning at my house. I don't know what it looks like at your house, but I wake up. Greeted by my dog with a slobbery tennis ball. <clears throat> and as I stumble out of bed, he starts dancing around my feet. Uh, wanting to play, I struggle to stand up straight, much less walk. Right? And uh, half awake, I kind of spend half asleep. I stumble my way into the kitchen and, and uh, pass by the, our office. And, and in there, Michelle is usually uh, doing paperwork or doing her morning devotions or something to that effect. I get to the kitchen, kitchen, and I just kind of blindly, without even really thinking about what I'm doing, I just I go in the cabinet and grab a cup and pour a cup of coffee that's a little too strong, but in the morning it's great. It's delicious when it's a little strong and bitter in the morning. I, I go in and settle into my favorite chair, and and there my dog finds me again, and he he just lays on me with all of his weight, just as if to say, "Come on, man, the sun is almost up. It is time to go play some ball." That is a routine that is daily at my house. Daily. It doesn't matter. It, it could be Saturday, but it, it is every day. Same kind of thing. July 11th was one of those routine Saturdays. Um, my wife and I, we were that afternoon, on Saturday afternoon, we were on our way home from a cookout. We'd been with some friends in Chestertown, and uh, we were driving home and coming down Route 20, and, and unfortunately the, the computer's not hooked to the screen. I had some pictures I wanted to show you. But um, coming back from Chestertown, and I don't know what you call that little part of Route 20 there, but uh, the sunset was just beautiful. It was one of those summer sunsets where the smog in Baltimore and D.C. was just thick enough that it made the sunset real bright red, you know. Uh, so it was, it was just beautiful. It was a, a beautiful eastern shore sunset as we were driving home. And she and I were talking about how God had just blessed us in amazing ways uh, the lives of our kids and, and what he was seemed to be doing in their lives and, and in ministry together, what, just what God was doing. We were just blown away by it all. Then we got to Double Woods and everything changed. We were hit head on by a passing driver, spun my truck around and rolled us over into the ditch. Uh, we survived, fortunately, praise God. The other driver did not. And facing the fact that we could have easily died that day, right? It was one of those moments when 
in life when everything changes. Hopefully you haven't had a near-death experience like that or anything that horrific happened in your life. But, but life is full of other moments that can be just as transformational for you, just, just as impactful. It can be the birth of a child. It can be a marriage. It can be struggles with an illness that you are facing or your loved one is facing. It could be coming to faith. Distinct moments, but particular times in our, in our life when we can point to and say, the way we see the world changed then. Sometimes the change is temporary because, you know, frankly, it would, I wasn't expecting it to happen. And it was a shock to my system, right? Like we have those things. Like it was a shock. And then after a few days or a few months or maybe even just a few hours, that we'll get back to normal, right? Unfortunately, we go back to, we settle in again. But sometimes those changes are fundamental. They change everything. Not just the way I see life, but the way life is. For the last year, we've all been, been dealing with COVID, Right? I had an app on my telephone, Smart News is what it's called. Um, I read the news there, and it kind of gives me news articles from all across the spectrum, right? But on the the main page there, it has this COVID counter thing that's been up there for the last year and a half or whatever almost now, I guess. Keeping track of infections and deaths and hospitalizations and all that kind of stuff. Real encouraging news that's there shouting at me every time I go to that little app. This infection has caused us, no matter how you see it or how you've experienced it, it's caused all of us to be more aware of life and death. More aware. And that's the the least it could have affected you. Some of you, it affected much more than that. You lost loved ones because of it. Being locked down has made all of us long for what used to be. And I think that's not that good. Because it, we long for what it used to be instead of looking forward to what God has done, right? Because we're, we're so hypersensitive to it. We're constantly reminded of death and danger provided by the news media and, and, our, and our news conversation and the masks that we wear, right? We're, we're reminded of it constantly. It's led to an increased, I'd say, anxiety about dying, about death, but also a longing for safety and security, I don't, I don't think these are really healthy for anybody. I mean, I, I don't mean we should take crazy risks, right? I'm not saying that. Um, but to be hyper-focused on removing all the risk from our lives, frankly, is a fool's errand. It, as my wife and I learned last summer, safety and security is like a vapor. It's like a vapor. It's hard to hold on to, and it can be gone, taken from us in a moment. The reality is that something completely unexpected can happen to you or to someone else and change everything. But but even still, you have an option, you have a choice in how to respond to it. We can do what's best for us in the moment, or we can do what God desires for us to do in that moment. That's what the Easter story is. The Easter story is exactly what no one expected to happen, and yet it changed everything. It fundamentally changed everything. It wasn't just a shock to the system, although it was that.
Scripture teaches us that Easter fundamentally changed everything. And, and God has a particular response that he wants us to make in response to it, to the events of Easter. It all began on what we know as Good Friday. Uh, it wasn't expected. He was the Messiah, Jesus, the promised one. The one everyone thought, well, not everyone, but most everyone thought, would deliver Israel from Rome, the rule of Rome. I'm going to start reading in Mark chapter 15. There should be a Bible near you. I encourage you to, to follow along, Mark chapter 15. Uh, if you go to the, like the back third of the Bible, you should find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, we're in the Gospel of Mark chapter 15. Verse 33 is where I'm going to begin. At noon, verse 33 says, At noon darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar, it says in verse 36. He put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink and then said, leave him alone now. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. With a loud cry, then Jesus breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he had died... He said, surely this man was the Son of God. Surely this man was the Son of God. This wasn't supposed to happen. No one thought this. I mean, a few days ago, no one expected this. And yet, here they are. Experiencing exactly what no one expected. But the moment he was forced to carry the cross... On Friday, right? Everyone knew that this moment of death was coming. The beating was one thing, but when he picked up the cross, everyone knew that the cross means death. His followers were left brokenhearted, dejected, left to ask, why? Why? Why this? Why him? Why now? They may not have understood it, but Scripture has been clear that that this moment was coming. That this time was necessary even. The prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53, he says in verse 10, he says, But it is still the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Let me say that again because we've got to get our minds around that. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when this life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, by his suffering, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted as righteous. And it closes verse 11 of chapter 53 says this, for he will bear all their sins. He will bear all their sins. The apostle Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples, right? And he was a disciple to the, or he was an apostle to the Jews. He wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, he said, He bore our sins 
in His body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But now, you've been returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I heard it on Friday, Good Friday, and you may have heard it before as well, that Jesus died on the cross so we could live for eternity. Probably have heard that before. I don't think it's exactly true. I hope it's not. Because I'll be honest with you. I don't want to live this life forever. I don't want to live this forever. I don't want it. And I praise God that that's not what he did. You see, yes, eternity is part of the package, but that's not the point. The point of Jesus' death is what Scripture just said. What we just read. That he died to pay a penalty for our sin. That he carried our sin to the cross. That he died for, as an atonement. And eternal life is just the result of, of living at one, which is atone. To atone means to be made at one with God. To atone for our sins makes us one with God, which means, therefore, we live eternally. Because God is eternal. Bearing our sins, you see, Jesus defeated the biggest enemy of humanity. Sin. Sin, our falling short of God's desire, God's design for life, results in death. It only has one direction. Sin only has, goes in one direction, towards death. We remember that from Adam, from uh, Adam. Yes, Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, right? Where they ate the fruit that they wanted instead of the ones that God told them to eat. They, they rebelled against God's way and said, no, 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 we got, we got a better idea, actually. God, that, that fruit over there, that looks pretty good, but, but we know what's best for us. Right? And since then, they, I mean, they chose to do, to rebel against God. Not for the same reason we do, because of a sin, because sin isn't working us. Not because they're bad people. People don't sin because they're bad, although there are bad people, right, in the world. But people don't sin because they're bad, they sin because they're people. Because we've inherited this, this sin nature. All the way that traces all the way back to Adam and Eve. The brokenness from that first sin infects us today at a rate of 100%. 100% of people are infected with that. Unavoidable. As of Friday, COVID had taken the lives of 552,000 people. 552,000 people in the last 15 months. But that's not the biggest killer in this world. Sin is responsible for the deaths of 155,000 a day. In that same 15 months, that's almost 60 million people who have died as a result of sin. All death traces its roots back to sin. And Jesus died to set us free from a death sentence. A death sentence of sin by providing a means for us to live, to be restored into a relationship with God for which we were created. The curse of sin has been broken. Death has been defeated, is what the scriptures say. 
And we aren't sure what the disciples were doing on Saturday, when Good Friday night, and all day holy on Holy Saturday, what we call Holy Saturday, right? We don't know what they were doing those days, but it's not hard to imagine that they were just trying to make sense of everything that had just happened. Maybe you too hear of the death of Jesus today and, and you struggle to make sense out of it. Maybe that's you. Why would God allow Jesus to die, to, to be punished for me? Like, that doesn't make sense. How, how could Jesus' death 2,000 years ago affect me today? Good questions. Questions that deserve an answer. And I believe that Scripture and the Spirit of God will teach you if you're willing to search. I don't know where your doubts come from exactly. We, we all have doubts, I think. Many of us. Many, some more than others. Maybe you grew up in a church and at some point you just failed to see how a, a loving God could allow all this pain in life. Maybe that's you. Perhaps it was the death of a loved one or it was a broken relationship where the, the source of that pain. Maybe you were confronted with a question of life that was just seemed much bigger than the God that you were told about. And God just began to be un- irrelevant to you. But no matter where your doubts are, we all believe some things. You, we believe some things that we can't even prove. We all do. So for people who doubt the resurrection, I get it. It's a staggering event. But I want us to hear today the, the words of Scripture from the people who, who are experiencing it firsthand. See, I believe that God works in amazing ways. That when we hear the truth of Scripture, the, the good news, when we hear the words, that the Spirit works in that somehow, convincing our spirits of the truth of the gospel. So I just want, to, I want you to hear some of the words today. In Mark chapter 16, verse 1 says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, three women who were one of Jesus' followers, brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Just to stop there for a second. These are women who are going to care for Jesus' body, right? He died just before sunset on the day before Passover, so there was a rush to take care of his body, to get him to the tomb and to get it closed because on the Sabbath they couldn't do those. On Passover they couldn't do those sorts of things. So they didn't think it had been done properly, so they wanted to go back now that Passover was over and care for Jesus' body the way that they felt appropriate. They hadn't been able to buy the spices. They weren't ready for him to die, so they didn't think about buying the spices that were necessary. So last night, Saturday night, when Passover was over at dusk, they went out and bought the spices, and now they get up on Sunday morning early, before daylight, and they prepare them, and they're on their way to the tomb to care for the body of their friend. It's clear that they're acting without really thinking. I mean, but, but we can't fault them for that, right? I mean, you've lost loved ones. You're not really thinking. It takes several days before you're really thinking right. You have to get your thoughts together, literally. And that's where they are. They're not thinking about details. They just want to care for their friend who's passed away, who's been killed. They aren't expecting a risen Savior. And when they got there, Scripture tells us in Luke chapter 24, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. When they got there, the stone's gone. The one they were worried about, it's not there. 
they encounter an angel. And they encounter an angel there at the tomb. And after they, the angel spoke to them, they run back to where the disciples had spent the night. Verse 9 of Luke 24 tells us, when they got back from the tomb, right, when they got back to where the disciples were, they told all these things to the 11 disciples. Judas wasn't there anymore. And all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they didn't believe the women. Because their words seemed to them like nonsense. They had helped bury him. Why would he be alive? Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Peter ran. There's all this running going around. I don't know. They're excited. Something's going on. He got to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying there by themselves. He went away and wondered to himself, what has happened? Peter, the one who just a couple of days ago denied even knowing Jesus, is now wondering, what is going on? In spite of Jesus telling them again and again and again that he was going to die and rise again, I mean... No one seemed to understand what was going on. I mean, everybody thought that, ah, oh, that's Jesus talking in that crazy talk that he does. You know, he's always telling these stories and, and you know, it's, it's just a metaphor for something. But now, was it a metaphor? Like now that his body in there, it's like, what's, I'm not so sure it was a metaphor anymore. John chapter 20, verse 19 says on the evening of the first day of the week, Sunday night, Easter, the first Easter in the evening, the disciples were all together. They had the doors locked for fear the Jewish leaders would come and have them arrested and crucified as well, right? So they're, they're in their house. They got the doors locked. And Jesus came and stood among them. Jesus just appeared and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side where he'd been nailed and pierced. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw their Lord. They were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. He's alive! Jesus is alive! He's risen! That's a defining moment for these guys. For, no, not God, but all of them. For all of his disciples. This is a defining moment in their lives. Not just was it something that shocked their system and, and caused them to rethink the world, but it actually reset the world. It was a fundamental change that's going on here. Maybe, maybe this is all too much for you. Maybe. For me, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Because God's Spirit has convicted me, convinced me of it. That's the truth of it. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus died for my sins. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the tomb was empty to prove that He had conquered death. Why do I know it like that? God's Spirit has convinced me of it. So if you say, well, I'm not that sure. I understand. I was there where you are. But today, I can say that God has convinced me of it. That there is not a doubt in my mind that He's alive. That He has risen indeed. Sin and death no longer had power over Him. And by our believing in Him, He promises that we are freed to experience life 
as God intended for his, his people, to, his created, his creation to experience. Not in bondage to sin and death. It gave new significance to what Jesus taught in, in John chapter 11 when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father without believing in me. Even though they die, whoever lives in, by believing in me will never die. And then he asked a question that you've probably heard at funerals whenever you've attended. Do you believe this? So Jesus asked that life is now fundamentally different than it was before Easter, that first Easter. This is where we understand eternal life as a follower of Jesus. Right? Those who've heard the good news, who've responded to him, trusting in Jesus, who've been, what Jesus says, born again. Born again. What does that mean to be born again? Well, let me explain it this way. The, the scripture teaches that there are two births and two deaths. Two births and two deaths. When it comes to birth, the physical birth, right? You know, when the doctor smacks, I don't, does the doctor even, I have something wrong, but the, the doc, doctors don't do that anymore, do they? I don't know that they ever did that. Uh, you know, swat the baby on the rear and get them ready. I don't know that that ever happened, but it was a great story. Anyway, that's your physical birth. Everybody, we've all experienced physical birth, right? Second birth is spiritual, a spiritual birth. What Jesus calls being born again. The moment you put your trust into Jesus, in Jesus as your Lord. When you turn from doing things your way to seeking to live for Him, to glorify God with your life, to, to honor Him with your life, that moment you became born again. It's not about joining a church. It's not about being baptized. It's not about any of those things. It's the moment we surrender to His Lordship. Born again. That's what it means. When it comes to death, death is understood in two ways. It, both of them is a way of, of separation. There's a spiritual death, which is a separation from God. And there's a physical death, which is a separation from our bodies, from the, from the physicalness. That we are a spirit and a body. Right? It's like our spirit weighs a, wears a skin suit. Right? It's like, I'm not what you see. I'm, I'm actually better looking than what you see. Right? And my spirit looks much better than my body. That's just the truth of it. You can believe that or not. But anyway. <laughs> so so the, the, the first death, the spiritual death, the separation from God is the one that Jesus experienced first on the cross. It's when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he was separated from God as our sin was, as he bore our sins, as scripture says. When he's carrying the weight of our sin, he separated, he experiences separation from God that we experience when we live in sin. We're separated from God. And for Jesus, that was agonizing. He was isolated from God. And in that moment, he experienced our spiritual death. The reality of sin, the reality of that spiritual death is a physical death, which he died on the cross. Physical death comes as a result of sin. That's why I say that sin is, our big, is the biggest killer of humanity. It's the root of everything. That's why all the people that Jesus raised to life, restored to life, Scripture uses those words, they died again. Because it was a, a physical, it was a physical thing only. It wasn't a spiritual event. It was a physical raising them to life. 
When we're born again, we're raised to a new life. This is what the account of Jesus' death and resurrection are teaching me. That Jesus died a spiritual death, taking our sin upon him, the sins of the whole world, where every one of us are guilty. Jesus took that guilt, and where was he crucified? Between two criminals who were convicted criminals. Our conviction he carried with him on the cross between those two. Then look where he's buried. He's buried in a tomb, carved out rock. It was, in scripture, it refers to it as a rich man's tomb. He was buried among the rich. Buried amongst people who live for comfort, convenience, consumption. People who live for the flesh. The flesh is dying. The flesh has died, Jesus says. And God raises him to new life from that place where the, the flesh dies. As if to say, as if to say, don't die like this. Don't, but don't live like this. Live for more than this world has to offer. That was the day that death died. That death has no power over you. From this point on, things are fundamentally different for everyone. As Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Even though faith, even though faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. By faith, God has granted us access to the same future inheritance that Jesus experienced. And until then, we are shielded by God. Life is fundamentally different for followers of Jesus. Yet for many, many in our world, many in our, in our, around us, maybe, maybe you, don't live a, fundamentally, a life that's fundamentally different than anybody else. When you consider your life, it doesn't look that different than anybody else really. Why is that? I think it's the same reason that many people back at the first Easter didn't experience transformation, didn't experience it, right? Who, who walked away saying, eh, resurrection, whatever, right? They found it easier to believe the cover-up. Matthew 28 tells that, that uh, the, the chief priests had come up with a scheme to explain how, why Jesus, where Jesus' body was, that, that, that he paid, they, they paid Roman soldiers to say, if anybody asks, just say that the, the disciples, Jesus' followers, came and stole him away. As if either the soldiers were asleep and they didn't wake him up when they came and rude the stone and they snuck away, or they overpowered you. Frankly, for me, that's a bridge too far. I, I can't accept that. I mean, that, these are professional soldiers, right? They're not going to be overwhelmed by a few fishermen. As we read further, we'll see that Jesus comes again and again to prove the resurrection to hundreds and hundreds. The question is, what do you believe? The resurrection or the cover-up? I believe that there are some of us who spend a lot of energy 
trying not to deal with the fact that Jesus, the tomb was empty, that Jesus rose. I mean, if Jesus did conquer death, then I've got I've to deal with that. You've got to deal with that. If Jesus conquered death, then, then that, there's got to be some consequence to that. And even if we are reluctant to deal with him, our reluctance is dealing with him. It's called denial. God created each one of us to, to have to deal with this, to be confronted with this. And it's the most important question in the world. The question is, what have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? What's interesting about the question is that if Jesus is who he said he is, then the proper response to that question is absolute surrender. I mean, if you conquer death, he's the only one who's ever done that, right? No, no other teacher, no other political leader, no other military leader, no, no politician. No, nobody has ever done that. So I want to encourage you to respond to him today. I want to ask you to respond to him today. If you're here today and you've never made the decision to align your life with his, with Christ, who's, who gives life, who sustains life. If, if you want to join with the one who defeated death, the one who, who conquered shame and brokenness, if you, want to, if you want to share in everything that he has done on your behalf for you, When you think like this, there's no other place to be. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, God would never accept me. Not like I am. I thought that too. The truth is that he does. And the other truth is that he loves you so much that he's not going to leave you that way. I mean, we are all a work in process. Can I get an amen from those who are a work in process? Right? You're a work in pro- We're all a work in process. No one has arrived. As a matter of fact, if you feel like you've arrived, then you, you are not even close. <laughs> We're all a work in process. Maybe you could just pray an Easter prayer like this. God, I'm willing to let you do the work that you want to do. From the inside, not on the outside. God, I want to let you come in and move in, change this life from the inside out. See, God's not afraid of, of where you've been. God's not afraid of what you've done. What you'll find is, is that when you, if you turn your life over to him, what you'll find is that he's been waiting for you to just come. You can pray that as an Easter prayer today. And to join in the fundamental change that is Easter. I want to pray for you. Lord, I want you to do the work in me that you want to do. Come into my life. Move in and change me from the inside out. I repent of my sin. And I trust in your work on the cross and in the resurrection. Fill me with your power, God, that I might live this life for you beginning today. There are others here today who... This Easter, God might be challenging you to to move all in for Jesus. That you've claimed the name of Christian for a while, but, but, but you don't live like someone who's surrendered to God. 
You struggle with letting go of the, of the ways of the world. You struggle with forgiving, with anger, or with addictions. And what you need this Easter is an infilling with God's Spirit to empower you to live the life that Jesus made possible on the cross and in that empty tomb. And that is a freedom from sin, a life that never ends. Today, as we celebrate Holy Communion and this sacrament, we're going to receive the grace of God through a cup and a piece of bread as we receive these elements, that God will empower us to live the life that God intended us to live. So I'm going to ask us all to, if you would, to, to use one of the hymnals. Uh, the responses to Holy Communion are uh, on page 15 in that red hymnal. I invite you to follow along with me. And, and these may be responses that you've considered many times, that you've read a lot. I'm going to read them slowly today. I'm going to ask you to consider the words that you're reading. Join me. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right. And a good and a joyful thing. Always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. You formed us in your image. You breathed into us the breath of life. We turned away. Our love failed, but your love has remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity. You made a covenant to be our sovereign God. You brought us to a land flowing with milk and honey and set before us the way of life. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and we join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you. Blessed is your son Jesus. By the baptism of His suffering, His death, and His resurrection, God, You gave birth to Your church. You delivered us from slavery to sin and to death. And You made with us a new covenant by the water of our baptism and Your Holy Spirit. By Your mercy, God, we've been born anew to a living hope. We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of your Son from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Once we were no people at all, but now, God, we are your people. We are declaring your wonderful deeds in Christ, who's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. When the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and your Holy Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread and he gave thanks to you. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body which has been given for you. When the supper was over, he took a cup of wine 
He gave thanks to God in heaven for it. He gave it to His disciples and He said, drink from this, every one of you. For this is My blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. On the day you raised Him from the dead, He was recognized by His disciples in the breaking of the bread and in the power of Your Holy Spirit. Your church has continued in the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup. And so in remembrance of these Your mighty acts in Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and in thanksgiving as a holy and a living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit, Lord God, on us gathered here on these gifts of bread and of wine. Make them, make them be the body and the blood of Christ that we may be for the whole world. The body of Christ has been redeemed by His blood. By Your Spirit, God, make us one with Christ. One with each other and one in ministry to the whole world until Christ returns in His final victory and we feast with Him in His heavenly banquet. We pray all this. Through your Son, Jesus. With your Holy Spirit. In your Holy Church. Because all honor and glory belongs only to you, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. I invite you to pray the Lord's Prayer as you best remember it this morning. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. So we are going to share Holy Communion. During COVID, we've been using these uh, single use. Uh, so what I'm going to ask you to do is if you would just come forward and receive the elements, but don't take them until you get, we're going to take them all together. So just take it back to your seat with you and then we'll, take, we'll receive them all together. All right? If they'll come up, we're just going to give them to you here in the front. Uh, if you can come today, please come. like for someone to pray with you while you come, I would love the opportunity. Just come to the altar and let me know.